story brought to you by Refuge Ministries Canada. For the next half hour, your hearts will be filled with hope as you hear real-life stories from individuals that have been changed by the power of God. Enjoy the show. Welcome to Refuge Freedom Stories. I'm your host, Johnny T. And today, my guest is Kim Sorrell. She's the director of a humanitarian organization, a popular speaker, and the author of two books. Her first book, Cry Until You Laugh, is about her and her husband's battle with cancer after being diagnosed just four months apart. Her second book, Love Is, chronicles her year-long quest to figure out the true meaning of love. Kim, welcome to the show. Danny, thank you so much for having me. I have so look forward to talking to you. I listened to your podcast. It's fantastic. Everybody should have it at the top of their podcast list. You really do a great job. And the stories that are shared bring so much hope. And I love that. Well, those are kind words. And, and we really do appreciate that. You obviously had quite a journey with God. I don't know what led up to authoring your two books. I know some of the criteria of them. But previously to that, was faith a big part of your life from an early age, or was that something that developed over time? And, and how did that come about? Yeah, faith has always been a part of my life. I grew up Catholic, and I always loved God. I went to Catholic school only for a short time because we only had a small Catholic school, but I loved it. There's so much incredible reverence and just some beauty within the Catholic Church. And like every other church, it's what you make it. And you get out of it what you get out of it. And so I've always loved God and had a relationship. And then I met my husband when I was 18. Mm. Never wanted to get married or have kids. And then this tall, dark, handsome man walked in the room and I was knitting. And two weeks later, I asked him to marry me and he said yes. And so, yeah, so, you know, that was some good planning. But God has a way, right? And we had a great marriage. And when I met him, he was real involved. There was a charismatic Catholic movement. Mm -hmm. And he was going to the prayer meetings. He came from a dark spot Mm. and then started going to these prayer meetings and it changed his life. And he'd been going to them for probably five, six years when I met him. So then I started going with him. And so then that deepened my faith even more and Then we went to an Assembly of God church for years and then a non-denominational church anyway. So the thing about my church life is I feel comfortable in any church. There are people that don't feel comfortable in a Catholic church. Mm -hmm. Catholics probably don't feel comfortable in an Assembly of God, you know, or a non-denominational, whatever it happens to be. And so I love it because I do a lot of work abroad that I can go anywhere. Well, I think there's, you know, a lot of truth in that too. My wife was raised Catholic and, and I wasn't, but we attend the Catholic Church and been in non-denominational Pentecostal and, you know, Baptist and all these different churches. But I do agree with you because, you know, as long as they adhere to the Nicene Creed, you know, they preach Jesus, Jesus crucified, our need for him as our savior, and they preach from the gospel. You know, like, sure, I don't understand a lot of the things that are done sometimes, but I listen intently to the message. And if they're preaching the gospel as far as it aligns with what I believe, then I'm okay with that. That's good. Yeah, I agree. I look at it as expressions of God, expressions of God's character, because not everybody's cut out to be in a praise the Lord Halloween at church, you know, right? Like, not everybody's like that. They just, they'd rather be kind of, mm, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, thanks. You know, I appreciate that. Right. But they're all still people who love God. So, I mean, God has to have different ways to represent himself to people so they can kind of align with it in their comfort zone. That doesn't mean he won't push us outside of our comfort zone. And I'm sure in your walk of faith that you got pushed outside of your comfort zone. 
Right. Yeah, for sure. You know, I've not heard it put that way before, but that's a great way to put it. And I think, too, it can be easy for Christians to judge other Christians, which we should never do. You know, Mm -hmm. like one of the things I'm so grateful for is there's not going to be a line at some point in time. And I'm going to be the one saying, you're in, you're out. (laughs) It's not my job. My job is to love. My job is not to judge. You know, Jesus said that to us several times. And way back in Leviticus, it said it. It's been a common theme of the Bible, right? It's not something new. And so love is our job. That's our job. And I'm grateful to not have to be judged. And I always find it sad when we judge each other because we're in this together and we're all created in his image. And he loves everyone the same. Like, I don't think God necessarily has favorites. And certainly doesn't have ones that he just wants to keep in a corner. Like he wants the best for all of us and we should want the best for each other. And you're absolutely right. People praise him different ways. People pray different ways. People go to different churches. Don't go to church, still love God. You know, whatever it happens to be, let them. You know, it's up to each of us how we do it. And our faith is so personal and so individual that we can express it however we decide to express it. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the Bible says that God's no respecter of persons. And so we need to be able to interact with God in a way that he's created our personalities. You're right. Like I'm a type A kind of guy. And there's times when it really annoys people. God created me to be a type A for whatever reason. And I don't get it, but that's what I am. But anyway, God orchestrates our steps. You know, he said the steps of a righteous man, a righteous woman are ordered by the Lord. So that whole journey of being in different church experiences along the path and so on, how did that prepare you for not only your humanitarian work, but also for the experience that you had with your husband being diagnosed with cancer such a short period of time apart? Well, it's huge. It was huge because we had people from every church coming over and every church praying for us and being by our side. And I am so grateful that we had that. I'm so grateful that we were so open to whatever God had for us. And my husband was an extremely faithful man from the time he started going to those prayer meetings until the day he died. He chased God. Like he didn't ebb and flow like some people do. He wasn't hot and cold. He was on fire for Jesus and wanted more and more. He got up at five o'clock every morning, read the Bible, read a devotional book, prayed. And he just was this great guy who just wanted more of God all the time. Mm -hmm. And so wherever that led us and whatever that brought us, that's what it brought us. So when I was diagnosed, It was quite a blow. I mean, Hmm. nobody wants to hear the word cancer over the phone on a Friday afternoon. You know, like no, nobody wants to ever get that phone call. And I was 47 years old and there was no breast cancer in my family. Hmm. So I was so surprised. I was shocked. Even though I had a biopsy, I was like, ah, there's no way. And so I was really surprised when the biopsy came back and it was cancer. And then it was difficult to understand, I guess. But people would say, gosh, you know, Kim, you do all these things for other people. You're a nice person. And my response was always, well, why not me? Why why would I be immune? Mm -hmm. You know, there's disease in the world. There's cancer in the world, right? I don't think God is in heaven going, you stole that pack of gum when you were in seventh grade, so I'm going to smite you with breast cancer when you're 47. We're genetically predisposed to things. I mean, it's just whatever. It's in our DNA, a lot of it. And so it happened. And so it's more, why not me? And then with my husband starting to have stomach issues, two weeks after I was diagnosed and went to the doctor and the doctor told him to take Rolaids. And two months later, went again. And the doctor said, take Rolaids. Two months later, went again. And the doctor said, take Rolaids. That made him go to the emergency room because nobody was doing anything. 
And then just with tests and with time, whatever, found out that he had pancreatic cancer, which is mm-hmm. one of the worst, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He thought he'd live maybe a year or so, and he lived for six weeks. But our prayer, when we left the doctor's office with that diagnosis, our prayer was, Lord, either heal him like you did the blind, the lame, the leper, yeah. or the most incredible healing, really, of heaven. But mm-hmm. please don't let him suffer. And there were some people, you know, I know people that that are all about healing here. You know, you have faith and you'll be healed here. Well, I do believe God heals. I believe that. I don't believe that's always everybody's path. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, even Jesus didn't use healing to get attention or to bring people to him. You know, that that's not what he was all about. And so when we prayed that prayer and let people know, please pray it with us, some people were astounded that we were praying for heaven. That was an alternative, you know, whatever, whichever way. And I thought, man, heaven's the reward, right? And my husband was 51 years old. At 51, to go to heaven and never Mm -hmm. pay another bill, (laughs) never get another flu, that's not so bad. He finished the race. You know, I have no doubt that when he entered heaven, God welcomed him and said, good job, good job. Absolutely. Yeah. I interviewed somebody just not too long ago. They had some issues in their life and, and they got to the place where God showed them, you know, you don't need to say, why me? I say, what am I going to do with it? It doesn't matter what the situation is. Instead of being depressed, why me? I say, well, what are you going to do with it? You know, your husband's faith was a lamp to people that were around him, you know, like that steadfast faith running the race to the end, all that kind of stuff. There's such an expression of the truth of Jesus in your husband's life when he finds out he has four weeks to live and he's profoundly dedicated to serving those last four weeks of his life for God. That speaks volumes about a person's faith, in my opinion. I love hearing that. Yeah, I think so too. And you know, we had a great time together. There were times when I would just start crying and he would hold me and he'd say, don't cry for me. You're the one that has to stay here. You know, like, like, don't cry for me. And he was serious because he didn't fear death. He did fear pain. He didn't want to be in pain. And I'll tell you, God answered that prayer. It was amazing because we had great hospice care. And so he wasn't in pain. They took really good care to make sure that he wasn't in pain. And he was getting morphine regularly and he could get extra if he needed it, you know, whatever. And so he wasn't in pain. And that was so wonderful. So we had the six weeks of watching Cash Cab and playing gin rummy and, you know, whatever we did, watch a movie here and there, just hanging out. And then there was one morning, a Sunday morning, he woke up and I woke up because he was awake and in so much pain. And he was sitting on the edge of the bed because laying down really hurt. And so I was holding him from behind. I didn't want him to fall off the bed. I called the hospice nurse. She came right over. She gave him more morphine. And she was in her bedroom and standing not far away, a couple feet away on the phone. because She's ordering a hospital bed. And she's ordering because, you know, he obviously took a turn. We had none of that. You know, we were just living life. And so she was ordering everything. And I was like, oh, do I call my kid? And she's like, no, you've got lots of time. You got weeks, maybe even months, you know, you got lots of time. Mm. But I could feel him. You know, the two shall become one. Yeah, yeah. I, I could feel him. And I asked her again, are you sure? And she said, no, you got lots of time. But I just feel his agony. And so I just whispered in his ear. I said, baby, just go. And that was it. And what mercy, what incredible mercy 
I mean, I think a lot of people have had experiences where somebody that they love just kind of lingers, right? And they're sort of just waiting for the end and are in pain much longer or just are, you know, even comatose for a week or two weeks or, you know, people can just linger sometimes. And for him to not linger, for him to go straight there, (laughs) I mean, good for him. I mean, stinks for me, but good for him, right? Yeah. And you know, it sounds to me like your husband was hanging on because of his love for you and your family. And just that release that he said, it's okay, honey, you can go. He realized, yeah, I can go. And Jesus said, welcome home, good and faithful servant. Enter into your reward in heaven. That's the biggest thing for me. I I just want God to say that to me when I get there. And I don't even care if it gives me like a four by four piece of grass in the corner of the universe. I don't care. (laughs) And just want yeah, to be, I'll even yeah. meet the gardener if that's what it takes, whatever it is, right? <laughs> yeah, 100%. So that experience, like that intimacy with just the presence of God through that whole thing, that shapes a person in eternity. It shapes your outlook that this life is just a whisper compared to eternity and all the pain and the suffering and the different things, the turmoil and the heartache and brokenness and darkness that we have here doesn't exist there. And we know that. Did that experience of the presence of God, did that motivate you to start your humanitarian work? Your second book, Love Is, talks about you took a year-long quest to find the true meaning of love. Now, when I read that about your book, and just based on our conversation, to me, it sounds more like you know what love is, but you looked for ways to express it to the world. Would that be a little more accurate? Well, I'll tell you, losing my husband made me really question the true meaning of love. Because in John, it says that God is love. Not that God loves, but that God is love. So love isn't something you do. It's who you are. You are love. You know, we're created in his image. If God is love, so are we. And how we decide to live it is up to us. And, you know, you experience other people's experiences, right, by seeing how they are. And I've known people who have just kind of stayed in a depression after losing somebody they love. And I didn't want to be that person. I believed that the best way I could honor my husband was to live fully for both of us, you know, Mm -hmm. to be as great a life as I can, to help as many people as I can, to do whatever I can do. I wanted to make sure I was doing it right. So I wanted to know, do I know, I know love. I mean, everybody knows love, right? But I figured there had to be more to it. You know, there's the whole WWJD thing that was a big thing for a while, but still exists, right? What would Jesus do? Mm -hmm. Well, Jesus is different to everybody. Even among Christians, he's different. You know, Mm -hmm. to some light and peace and love and all things good. To some, he's kind of heavy-handed guy tipping over tables, you know, or whatever. And to some, he's a heretic. To some, he's a prophet, right? Yeah. And so even agreeing on what would Jesus do, people are going to have different answers for that. But God is love. So I thought, well, what if it's WWLD? What would love do? Mm. Love is universal. Mm -hmm. Love crosses all boundaries. Love crosses all lines with everybody all of humanity, but you got to know what love is if you know what love would do. Mm-hmm. So I took 1 Corinthians 13. I used it as a roadmap. Love is patient, love is kind, does not envy, does not boast, etc. And I decided I would take one word a month and figure out what is love that is patient? What is love that is kind? And the first thing I figured out is there are 14 is this and isn't of love. So it took me a little bit longer a year at one a mm-hmm. month, but I did it. And the next thing I figured out is if you put love is or love is not in front of any word, it changes the meaning of the word. Patient Mm. and love that is patient are two different things. Kind and love that is kind are two different things. 
And it took me the entirety of the month, the whole month. And like, I'm looking for it everywhere. Where I love his vision, just looking for it, praying about it. And it's like, God would have to hit me over the head with something and go, this is what it is. <laughs> just wake up. And I go, oh my gosh. Yeah. And so it blew my mind month after month. And so many things that we believe about love, that we're taught about love, that are not love. There are myths around love. And there's so much more to love that if everybody understood what love really is and how to live it, our world would be a whole different place. Absolutely. Absolutely. It would for sure. That sounds like an awesome book to read. I'm going to have to get a copy of that for sure. And you'll have to tell us near the end where people can get that. Yeah, it can be life-changing when you start to really understand who God is and allow him to bring things, people, situations across your path. He'll use those to reinforce parts of his character, and especially maybe parts of his character that we either have not experienced in life or we misunderstand or, you know, we've never seen. I'm a big believer in God orchestrating those things to happen in someone's life. I agree. I agree. Yeah. You know, I didn't know what I was going to do with my life after my husband passed away. I wasn't sure. I wasn't even sure what I was going to do about work. I had businesses, but I had people running them. So I didn't have to go back to them because I took a year off basically with my health and then losing my husband in the middle of that. And I didn't know what I was going to do. And I ran into a man who was running a nonprofit that my father and I had started 10 years before. And I said, hey, do you need any help? And as I was, I'm figuring out stuff, right? And I said, what about Bookkeeper? And he's like, oh yeah, I'm like, gosh, it'd be great if you want to keep the books. And so I started out that year, it was January 1, I ran into him right after Christmas, January 1st, part-time Bookkeeper. And 12 days later, there was an earthquake in Haiti that killed 200,000 people. So I went from part-time Bookkeeper to 24-7. And in fact, love is, I walked that 14 months of love in Haiti for the most part. So within two weeks after the earthquake, I was in Haiti. And then for the next several years, six, seven years, I was in Haiti at least part of every month. And one thing that I never knew, and I still have never heard anybody else say, is service is the greatest healer of grief. When you get outside yourself and you are serving other people, man, what it does for your grief is amazing. Because mm -hmm. it's so easy when you're grieving to be so self-focused, right? And you should be for a while. My gosh, it's hard to breathe at first, for goodness sake. You know, sleep, but all the things you forget to eat, you know, just in this days for a while. And you mm -hmm. got to go through it, which I think that's God's grace is that we don't get the grief all at once. You know, we get to live in a cloud for a little bit and take it a bite at a time, mm -hmm. and which you know, because it would be overwhelming otherwise. So how cool is God? That's how it works for us. But then to get outside yourself, you don't get over it. You know, when people say, oh, you got to get over it. Well, you never get over it. I'll love mm -hmm. my husband forever. Like, mm -hmm. like I'm never going to get over it. But you can get on top of it. And by serving other people, you get on top a lot sooner and a lot happier. And so it was wonderful to be there. And at that time of my life, that everything worked out that I could be, that I was able to be, that I had support at home so that I could be there. And just even being there was great and wonderful. You know, God is just so cool. God, he, is. he is just he so is. cool. Like, 
yeah, you, you don't necessarily know what to expect. And certainly there wouldn't be a book that would be written to say, this is going to happen then, and then you're going to end up in Haiti because there's an earthquake and da da you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Nobody's going to write that in a book. But then you look back at the story and you, you go, wow, you can see God every step of the way. Now, you were just talking about, you know, serving others, right? And, you know, there's a saying that asks the question, how do you spell love? T-I-M-E. You know, and that lines up with your uh, talk about service and so on. So we're rapidly running out of time and that's unfortunate. But I do want to ask you, if people want to find out more about your work, where they can get your books, where would they go? My name has way too many letters, but I'm literally the only Kim Sorrell spelled my way in the entire world. There are two R's and two L's and two E's. I don't know why it was my husband's name. I didn't pick it, but I like it. I didn't pick it. So it's S-O-R-E-L-E. Kim Sorrell. So KimSorrell.com is my website. My books are on Amazon. They're for sale in brick and mortar stores. Cry Until You Laugh is the first one. And that has to do with going through illness and in the middle of it, losing my husband. And then love is the journey that I took. It's sort of a eat, pray, love kind of a journey. And the things I learned just blew my mind. And so they're available on Amazon. They're available wherever they're available. And I love to be in touch with people. I speak a lot these days and I love that because I know that if people understand love, the world really would be a different place. And there's even just knowing a couple little things that I know, if I even would have just done the first month, it would have changed my life. Mm -hmm. And so it's just, I feel like God has me now on this journey to just spread the word, spread his love, spread his word of love. That's great. Okay. One final question. What's the one thing you would tell people about God? That God is love. God is love. And who who doesn't want love? We all want to be loved. We all want to give love. And he loved us before we loved him. Amen. Amen to that. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. Time just kind of slipped through our fingers there. And here we are at the end. So God bless you and all you do. And thanks so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for having me again. Great show. You're doing wonderful things. I really appreciate you a lot. Okay. God bless. God bless. There's never been a reason not to believe you. There's never been a season when you didn't come through. Every situation, you've been my salvation. Your love is faithful and true. Your love is faithful and true. Circumstance, you are 
the last half hour as much as I did. Thank you again to Refuge Ministries Canada for hosting the show. So until next Friday, may God richly bless you with peace, love, and happiness. We at Refuge Ministries are so blessed by the success of Refuge Freedom Stories and podcasts. In addition, we focus on youth prison ministry, release kits, and many other diverse outreaches to the needs of our community. As a nonprofit, there are many costs involved, however, and we are asking for your support. Financial gifts can be made via our website at www.refugeministriescanada.com or by calling 519-701-0108. Your giving makes this work possible, and we thank you in advance for your support. That's 519-701-0108. God bless you.